0: Well, this is the time of year, in late August, when students, college, university students, start to move into our great city. And they join with students who make Vancouver home in anticipating the start of another academic year, right around the corner. And when I was a post-secondary student, there was a very predictable pattern to how my semester went. In September, I was full of excitement because I got to see friends that I hadn't seen all summer. And there were new classes and new professors and new ideas and new textbooks, I loved it. But by mid-November, everything changed. I felt overwhelmed, papers and assignments were piling up and I had this dread in the pit of my stomach as I thought about final exams. I, I was drowning. How in the world am I supposed to absorb all of this information? So on once or twice, on a couple of occasions, I went to go see my professor, and I asked some questions, and they went like this. Professor, of all of the amazing stuff that you have taught this term, and it has been amazing, what would you say is the most important? and of that entire 500-page textbook that you gave us, how would you summarize it right now in a few short words? Of all of this material, what's the most important? And then I would take out my pen and I would lean in because what she said was of utmost importance. You know, one day a teacher of the law approached Jesus, the greatest teacher of all. And he said, of all the commandments, what's the greatest one? Now regardless of his motive, I think it's a great question. I think it's a great question for us to ask and to listen to Jesus' response. What is the core calling on our lives as followers of Christ? What is the highest aim As human beings, Jesus, of all the commandments, what's the greatest one? And how does Jesus answer? Well, let's lean in, shall we, and listen to what he says. Mark 12, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. We've been journeying through these past few weeks in this great commandment, this highest aim, this core calling, which is to love. It's not complex, it's simple, and yet it's one of the hardest things we can ever learn to do. To love God, and we've explored the different aspects of this to to love God with our heart. What does that mean? To to love Him with our soul and our mind. And this morning, for a few moments, I want to explore what does it mean to love God with your strength? Don't you love when a preacher says a few moments? Because a moment to a preacher is like a good 10, 12, 15 minutes. For a few moments this morning, we're gonna explore what does that mean to love God with your strength? And as you already know, I like to ask questions. And so I wanna ask three questions and frame our time with this. First of all, what is it? What, what are we talking about? What is, what is strength? And second, Why don't we do this? What are the barriers, the obstacles to loving God with our strength? And third, simply, how do we do it? What are some some examples of what this might look like in our everyday lives? So, first, what does it mean to love God with our strength? Does it mean that we love Him with our muscle power, with our physical energy, or our vigor? Well, in order to unpack this word strength, we need to do a little bit of digging because Jesus was actually reciting from the Old Testament a prayer in Deuteronomy that the people of God prayed twice a day. It was called the Great Shema. Every day they would pray this prayer as a way of aligning themselves, of pledging allegiance to the one true living God, Yahweh. And the word that is used in the Hebrew is not the word that is usually used to refer to physical energy. It it is a different word, it's the word me'od, which is used some 300 times in the Old Testament. And in almost every instance, the word means very or much. So for example, in Genesis one, when God creates and he declares things good, after the pinnacle of creation, he said, it is maod good, it is very good. Or in Numbers 14, when the spies seek out the land, it is maod good, very good. So to love God with your strength is to love God with your veriness or your fullness, or your muchness. It is not so much a thing but it is everything, the muchness of your life. Here's how Dr. Tim Mackey puts it in the Bible Project. Loving God with your mayode means devoting every possibility, opportunity, and capacity that you have to honoring God. The great commandment, as many commentators point out, has this kind of inside to outside movement. It starts with the heart, which is the command center of our lives. Next, it talks about the, the soul and the mind, elements of our being. And now we're at the point where we're talking about the strength. That is our resources, our opportunities, our privileges, the influence we have, the power that we have, it, is, it goes from one thing to everything. So the question that we're going to ask and that we're called to ask is, is it possible to love God with our hobbies and our home, our holidays, our health, and our Honda? Can you really honor God with your influence your interests, and your iPad. What would it mean, friends, to love God with our talents, our tools, our time, and our TikTok account? It is not one thing, but it is everything that we have at our disposal. How might we remember God in that and offer that to Him as an act of worship? Now, if, like me, you struggle with wide definitions and you want to narrow it down, it might help for us to think about, first of all, God's love for us. Does God look at us and say, you know, there's lovable parts and there's unlovable parts, and I just, I love the lovable parts? Or does God look at the entirety of our lives and does his love reach every area of it? Remember when you were a kid and Your mom or dad brought you a plate of food. There were lovable parts and unlovable parts. And you put the broccoli and the peas and the green beans, three of God's big mistakes, and you move them over to the side because those are the unlovable things. Aren't you glad, friends, that God doesn't do that with us? That God's love permeates every aspect of our lives. It reaches every aspect of our lives. And so the call to love God is to first of all realize he loves me and his love reaches everything in me, even the ugly, unlovable parts. And in response, I can turn those things back to God. I can, God loves me and my muchness and I want to love God with my muchness. Well, why don't we do this? What might be an obstacle to us loving God with our muchness? I wanna suggest to you that it is that we often live divided lives. Unlike our Hebrew ancestors who saw life very holistically, we as modern Western thinkers, we love the separation of business and pleasure, work and play, mind and body, public or private, and here's one that really messes us up in the life of faith. We separate our lives into spiritual and non-spiritual, sacred and secular. You know, when I was a late teenager, uh, early 20s, it was a very important time in my own faith. It was really when this relationship with Christ really took hold of me and it, it changed me. I really believed and it was meaningful, and it it was personal. And at that time, I would describe that I had two types of activities in my life. I had spiritual ones. Those usually happen on Sunday. Those involved church, and Bible reading, and worship songs, and tithing, and volunteering. Those were clearly spiritual activities, right? But from Monday to Saturday, my life was full of seemingly Lots of non-spiritual things. Because on Monday, I had physics homework. That doesn't have anything to do with God, does it? And I had a job cleaning trucks at U-Haul. Nothing spiritual about that. And I played hockey, and I cut the lawn, and my life hung out with friends. These weren't spiritual activities, were they? Is, are our lives separated into that Two divisions of spiritual and unspiritual. One of the uh, examples of this, a person who lives a divided life, indulge me for a moment. One of the most neurotic and memorable characters in sitcom history, George Costanza. George Costanza lives a divided life. He's got this relationship with this woman named Susan, but then he's got his friends that he hangs out with. And he's, he's desperately trying to keep these two worlds apart because he says, if they come together, worlds will collide and it won't be good. One day he explains it to his friend Jerry. He says, Jerry, there's relationship George and there's independent George. Independent George is movie George and coffee shop George. If relationship George walks through this door, he will kill independent George. And then he stands up and famously says, a George divided against itself cannot stand. He knew his Bible. Uh, and he lives a divided life. He's actually trying to keep different parts of his life apart. And that, when we do that, I think that fragments us in more ways that, than we know. Or are we invited to see God in everything, in the muchness of our life? Are we invited to welcome God into every opportunity, every moment, every resource? You know, when we live a divided life, here's what what we do. We say, well, when it comes to finances, 10% is God's, that's yours, God, and 90% is mine. But the Bible doesn't really talk like that about our resources. It more talks about how everything is God's and that we are stewards of all that God has given us. 10% isn't God's, it's it's actually all God's and we share in this life together with God with with open hands. C.S. Lewis said many Christians treat God like the tax man The tax man, God, has certain demands and we pay those demands, but at the end of the day, we desperately hope there's enough left for us. You know, that's that's a divided mind and a divided life. Instead, the scripture is inviting us to place everything before God as an offering. The muchness of our life is before him and we seek to honor and to love God with everything that we have available to us. Do you see this dividedness in your own life? Are there parts of your life where you would say, God, that's my part. Hands off, God. And can you hear the gentle invitation? Maybe it's an unlovely part of your life that you're embarrassed about, ashamed of. Can you hear the gentle invitation that God is, is saying, I I love you in the midst of that. My love meets you in that unlovability. Open that up to me and see what I can do there. Well, third, I wanna share just briefly about how how do we do this? How might we love God with our muchness? And for those of you who are pragmatic and you're doers and you like application, something to do, Try this, this afternoon or this week, take stock of your life, the resources, the abilities, your personality strengths, the places of influence. Write those down, make a list of 10 of those things and offer them to God. So I don't necessarily see these as spiritual but I want to love you and honor you with these gifts. Perhaps your muchness will include very menial tasks. You know, I want to give you just a few little snapshots of some examples of what this might look like. The first is from a gentleman named Nicholas Herman. He lived in the 17th century in France. Born into poverty, injured in the military service, he found himself working a lowly job in a monastery as a cook. There he was, day after day, scrubbing pots, cleaning. Not very spiritual work, right? But Nicholas had invited God's presence into his day-to-day tasks, into his pot scrubbing and cleaning. And he had cultivated the sense that God was present and with him in every moment, no matter how small the task. And this began to permeate his, his, very, uh, his very awareness. And he writes this, It is not necessary to have great things to do. I turn my little omelet in the pan for the love of God. Nicholas Herman is better known as Brother Lawrence, who wrote about this in a beautiful classic spiritual book called The Practice of the Presence of God seeing and loving and honoring God in my everything. Can you love God in the muchness of your work? Now you may say, well, Jade, I'm an accountant. It's kind of an unspiritual, I don't don't see the connection between my faith and number crunching. Our uh, executive pastor, David Saison, has this saying. He says that God loves spreadsheets. Did you know that, that God loves spreadsheets? that uh, an accountant is a truth teller. As God is ultimate truth, an accountant is telling the financial truth of an organization or a company. Done well, that truth can help that company flourish and the employees and the customers. God loves accounting, you can love God with your general ledger and your balance sheet Have you ever thought of loving God through your work that way? A student can love God through their study, and maybe they're studying organic chemistry, nothing to do seemingly with God, right? Except if we back up and remember that God is a God of truth, that God has made us people who pursue truth, that God has chosen us for truth over ignorance, And when you use the mind that God has given you to pursue truth in whatever discipline, I think you're bringing joy and honor to God. You're loving God through your study. An artist loves God by creating works of of beauty and transcendence that in some small way is the same instinct that in which we turn to God. We look to the God who is ultimate beauty and the God who is transcendence. Okay, I got a hard one for you. Do you think that a plumber can love God through their work? My brother is here today, and he and I could tell you stories of doing some plumbing, of getting called to a house or an apartment building where the sewer was plugged and was starting to back up. I cannot think of a more unspiritual job than that. I cannot think of a dirtier job than that. Really, can can you love God through your plumbing? Well, I came across this little tidbit from the British Medical Journal. They surveyed 11,000 of their subscribers, medical professionals, and they asked them one question. What's the single greatest medical breakthrough in the last 150 years? And the number one answer was indoor plumbing. Why? Because proper sanitation alleviates more disease than almost anything else. Friends, it is quite possible that plumbers have saved more lives than doctors. No offense to the doctors here, we love you too. When, when you are plumbing out of the love of God, you are contributing to the, the health, the safety, the shalom, the flourishing of the residents of that place. It's incredibly important. You can love God through your plumbing. Can you love God with your home? One last story I want to share with you. In March 20 of 22, this is past uh, spring The Globe and Mail, one of our national papers, featured a story of three couples in Vancouver that did something unique. They purchased a home together. They had a vision for a community kind of experience and living environment. They had separate parts in the home, but they shared meals together. And not only that, they opened their home for community in their neighborhood. And what the Globe and Mail didn't say was that these three couples are a part of this 10th church community. And they did that out of their love for God and their strong conviction that a home wasn't just their little thing to have, but it was something that they could love God with. And so on a very regular basis, the Stockburgers and the Miners and the Perez's and their home in East Van have block parties and they have join us for drinks on the porch night, and they're outside often, and they've become a kind of community hub for relationships. One young boy who lives in the neighborhood told their parent, I wanna walk by their house because somebody's always outside to say hi. They are contributing with their home to the flourishing of relationships in that neighborhood. Friends, how is it that this most important call might, what, what might that mean for you to, to love God with your, your muchness, your resources, your opportunities, your influence? You know, in just a moment, we're gonna conclude our service or come to the part in our service where we worship through communion. And I was thinking about how communion really is the pattern for our lives. Because in communion, we take something very ordinary, bread, and the first thing we do is we acknowledge where it comes from. We give thanks to God for it. And then we ask God to bless it, and we share it with others. We enjoy it ourselves. And then what's the last thing? Jesus says, whenever you do this, remember me. Well, what if communion was the pattern for everything in our life? where we took our jobs and our hobbies and our resources and our opportunities, and we said, God, these these are from you, thank you. And we asked God to bless them. And then we openly shared them with others. We enjoyed them ourselves. And in everything, we said, Jesus, in this, we wanna remember you. We wanna honor you. We wanna love you. Friends, together, with God helping us. We can take our everything, or the muchness of our lives, and offer it to God in love. Let's pray together. So living God, you have widened and expanded our picture of what it looks like to love you with our strength. And I pray that you would help us this week to take the muchness of our lives, both the, the good stuff, the lovable stuff, and the, the unlovable stuff, and to offer it to you again. To say, Lord, may this, be the means of loving you. Help me to see you and love you in this place. We ask in Christ's name, amen.